Welcome, everybody, to another podcast on Body.io FM. This is Kiefer. If you're listening to this, you probably know who I am. I haven't obviously put in much effort into promotion or anything lately. And I've been super busy, all kinds of stuff going on. And to be honest, I've been sitting here for the last... 15 minutes trying to decide if I actually really wanted to do this this podcast because I had a lot of questions about COVID. People wanted me to do another COVID update and I'm going to and there's a lot of other things to talk about all wrapped up with this COVID situation like conspiracy theories and uh, people thinking that you know we're having a fight over freedom of speech, at least in the United States, and the the media in general. This this thing is a little. It's just a piece of insanity that even at the beginning, my initial assessment was you know don't you don't need to worry too terribly much about this unless you're older, and now. You know, several months in, we're finding that's still really the case. Uh, take Italy, for example, or other European countries. When you look at the deaths, 95% of deaths occurred in people 45 and older, and still the majority of those occurred in people 55 and older. So it really is something to be scared of if you're in the older group of people. And actually, myself included, although I wasn't worried because of the state of my health, uh, I assumed it, it wouldn't be a big deal. I've, I've weathered most diseases and viruses in my life without even going for any kind of medical assistance for at least, you know, over, well, 25 years, for the last 25 years. So I wasn't too terribly concerned. And I think. One thing we saw initially right out of the gate was, you know, in Europe, especially in Italy, there's a very it's one, it's one of the oldest populations of any country. I think it's second only to Japan. So they had a large population that was susceptible to the virus and they did a very poor job like most countries actually of trying to keep it out of institutions that housed and catered to the elderly and so that's where we saw massive rising cases a lot of deaths and the exact same thing happened in Spain the same thing happened on the west coast of the United States when it first arrived uh, we're seeing that pretty much you know in all locations and still uh, where we're having really big issues is with older populations in in the United States it's complicated because so much of the American population is sick uh, they're they're pretty deep in the disease state you know over 60% of America is overweight which means probably roughly 80% of Americans are somewhere in the disease state uh, either in the beginning stages where it's pretty significant or pretty deep into it. So they're already 
battling their own issues and then you put a virus on top of that and it's a good way for their body to tip over and get really sick so again you know it is something to be concerned about uh but you know and we're we're still on track with my initial predictions of anywhere from 90,000 to half a million deaths in the united states and and those are very unfortunate numbers but we seem to be on track to hitting that and everybody it's fallen into the backdrop because we've had a little bit of a lull which follows from you know the recent discoveries about any type of respiratory infection like flus colds things of that nature they don't spread as well in warm air as they do in cold air so the the summer has made it seem pretty mild and i don't want this to be rosy i mean i think we've probably got a terrible fall and winter ahead of us but we don't it doesn't have to be a terrible thing and and at this point that there's really not a lot we can do to slow it down other than some really simple steps that i know a lot of people are doing and Serbia is an excellent example. You know, here you need to wear a mask if you're indoors anywhere. Of course, restaurants and coffee shops are excluded, but most restaurants and coffee shops are really trying to encourage people to sit outside. The weather's been great, and when the weather's not great and it's raining, people just don't go out. Uh, and it's been really lax here. You wouldn't know anything's going on other than people carrying around masks are almost no one wears them outside because there's really no need to and it's just not spreading a ton here at the moment and serbia has open borders people can fly in and out all they want there's no special testing or anything like that uh, so serbia is a really good example of how it has become mild this summer and people have done very basic things and it's it has completely gone into the background i mean you wouldn't know anything was going on here pretty much everything's open all the time regularly the economy's starting to bounce back of course several smaller businesses did not survive the lockdown that was here which is to be expected and i would put some of this or quite a you know i would say that masks are responsible but i'm gonna say that with a caveat because i know this whole mask issue especially in the united states has turned into almost a dividing line for a civil war it's almost insane and on different sides you have different things going on and and i'll be honest i just stopped watching all news uh, because it, it had gotten so ridiculous. You have one side of the news um, quoting studies like saying, oh, well, you know, if people would wear masks, then we would cut infection rates down by 80%. And then you have another side saying, oh, well, we don't need, we don't know, we don't, masks don't work. Oh, as a matter of fact, masks might make, might give you the disease um, to, you know, Fauci, once he said don't wear a mask, and now he says to wear masks. And, you know, that, that's kind of how science works, but, you know, on both sides, science is being warped pretty heavily. Like, wearing a mask is not going to cause you to catch COVID. 
Now, will it prevent you from catching COVID? That's really hard to say. It still seems potentially unlikely. The masks don't protect you so much as they're there to protect other people. Now, the statistic is if, if everybody wore masks, so we'd cut cut the infection rate down to 80%. That's the studies that came to that conclusion that are being quoted for that 80% number in particular. They looked at countries and they looked at the rate of spread of the virus once masks were mandated. Now, there's a huge problem, and the researchers noted this, is that in all countries where masks were mandated, stay-at-home orders were mandated at the same time. So those studies can't, and we have no, the researchers actually just came up with ad hoc correlations to how much they thought masks could have participated in that reduction. Uh, because we just didn't have good, we don't have good data to know, to analyze, to find out which correlations were the strongest. And again, that still wouldn't show causation. So for that reason is not why I wear a mask when I go into stores. Because that statistic seems at best fanciful to me. Yeah, I'm just... I'm not buying it as reliable at all. Now, I do think masks have some effect at limiting transmission. And the reason is very clear, simple, and in this case, physics-based experiments that they were able to do. And these are fluid dynamic experiments. And it's very simple. They test different masks and they see how much of your your breath escapes when you wear a mask and also how well it's filtered. And the simple paper surgical masks do an excellent job of filtering out a lot of particulates and really cut down on how much your breath spreads and therefore how much you could possibly spread the virus. So you could be infected and not know it, Wearing the mask prevents you from spreading it, and that cuts down on transmission rate. Now, again, I don't think they're going to protect anybody wearing the mask, but if you're wearing the mask, you're protecting other people. And if this doesn't appeal to your altruism, and you think freedom of speech trumps it, and you want to get back to normal, the quickest way to get back to normal is to try to protect everyone else from yourself, from the potential that you have it. And there's a good chance you have it and you won't know. Like I said, most people, most severe cases are in older populations. So if you're younger, you just won't know. And I, I think that's the reason to wear the mask. We know from fluid dynamic studies, they were really well done. Actually, they were really interesting uh, to show that cloth masks do almost nothing if it's a single layer of cloth. Two layers still do almost nothing. It takes three layers of cloth if you're using a cloth ma- cloth mask to get the same effect as those simple paper surgical masks, which everybody can get now. I mean, they're all over the place here. It doesn't matter if you go to a convenience store or a kiosk or a grocery store or a drugstore. There's a huge pile of little packs of five surgical masks that you can buy 
everywhere, so they're clearly available. And it's easy. It's easy to wear, obviously. I mean, I carry mine in my back pocket. When I go into the store, I put it on. Not a big deal. I don't feel ridiculous. I don't feel like anybody's intruding on my freedom of speech or freedom of expression. And to to that point, I, that that's actually a really interesting conversation. Is you know forcing m- mandates to wear masks is that infringing upon, and especially in the United States where freedom of speech is incredibly valued. Um, not so much as it should be, and I'll explain that in a minute. But you know, could be being asked to wear a mask infringe upon your freedom of speech? Now, if you're going into a store and the store's asking you to wear a mask, then actually there's an argument that it does not infringe. But I I have a friend who's an attorney, and I talked to him about this because. I was really curious just from a a civil and constitutional standpoint, like where this might fall, because it it does seem like you could forgo wearing the mask as as a statement of speech, and this would fall under freedom of speech and protect you. But what I hadn't considered is this falls more closely under the idea that some speech is not protected and the speech that's not protected is that designed to to potentially have the ability to cause immediate harm and so the classic example is yelling fire inside a crowded movie theater you do not have the freedom to do that because you could cause harm you're instigating a situation of immediate harm and the wearing a mask could actually fall into that same scenario. Um, you don't have the freedom to endanger, to put others in immediate danger by your actions. And not wearing the mask would fall under that or could possibly fall under that if that went uh, to court. So I, I think that's something that people need to keep in mind. Uh, freedom of speech is almost limitless until it can cause immediate harm. Now, I want to be very clear. That doesn't mean if you get upset or if you say something somebody doesn't like, that is still completely protected. Even hate speech is protected. And it makes me so sad when I hear so many people, Americans, think that hate speech is illegal. It is not. It is protected by the Constitution, and that's really important. The, our forebears, the founding fathers of the United States, did not put limits on freedom of speech because what they understood was that you cannot fight ideas that can't be spoken. So hate speech can be hateful ideas, but there's no way to combat those ideas if you don't hear them and they spread silently or you have somebody harboring ideas that could be dangerous and you have no way to act to try to change their mind or show them a different view. And I think this is really important. Um, people who say it's un-American to wear a mask don't know what they don't know what it means to be an American where we are selfless and preserving and we, would die for freedom of speech, but we also understand there's a limit to that speech. And 
people also aren't very good Americans who think that hate speech should be outlawed and then it should be illegal and it should be censored at all costs. Um, so, so these are really important issues wrapped up with freedom of speech. And it's one of what I think is the most important freedoms in the world in the United States for as much vitriol and hatefulness that that can allow to be heard. It is still absolutely a pristine writing and a protection of freedom of speech in the U.S. So, you know, Americans don't realize not every country has that has that freedom. Uh, so, that being said, so I don't want to go too far down, the, you know, analyzing the Constitution or what it is to be an American, but you you should have some sense of the reality that a mask can stop the spread. It may not protect you, but it can stop the spread of the virus. And also, you really need to wear it inside. Inside is where the majority of all infections take place. So airplanes, obviously, is number one. You know, their filtration system is not designed to pull viruses out of the air. Viruses are incredibly tiny. Um, actually, you know, they're so small that a, most thing, a lot of things will not filter them. They're not designed. So even with the paper masks, which are the best, you still have viral particles that can get through. They just don't disperse nearly as much. Um, but inside is where you have the greatest chance of infection. Outside, you don't. So if there's any governors or mayors or anything potentially listening to this, which would be amazing if there were, it makes no sense to mandate a face mask or face covering at all times everywhere. Outside, there's no reason. Inside, there's a huge reason. And that also makes it easier to enforce as well. You don't find people for not wearing their masks. That's almost stupid. And there's some socioeconomic injustice in that too, because people who have a harder may have a harder time acquiring masks are going to be the ones that are then fined, which just puts them in a deeper hole in a situation right now, economic environment that's just not good to be in any kind of hole. And so what you... What you should do is mandate them indoors and you find the business for anybody that's found without a mask. And you don't find them per person. You find them based on the size of their business. So a small bookstore that you know maybe has a capacity of 10 people, they'd have a really small fine if they got caught allowing a customer to not wear a face mask. But a store like Costco, if even one person is found in the store not wearing a mask, the fine should be $10,000. That's really easy to enforce because you don't have to enforce individuals. You just have to enforce businesses and businesses will enforce. And then for people entering, it makes complete sense. It's like, look, I don't care about your politics. I don't care about anything else. But if you don't wear a mask, it's going to cost me potentially thousands of dollars. And I just cannot risk that. So if you want to shop here, you need to put on the mask. If if you don't care about my business or my financial well-being, then you can leave. I have the right to refuse business to anybody I want. 
And so, you know, that's the way it should be. And come on, people, stop acting like children wearing a mask. You know, so you have to wear a mask. I admit I don't enjoy wearing the mask, but, like, I hardly notice. It's always in my back pocket, so whenever I'm out or about, if I, ha- if I need to go in someplace, I've got it on me. It's not a big deal. Now, another reason I would highly recommend people not wearing it outside, especially in hotter environments, is something that's lost in the conversation is that people actually lose a lot of heat through breathing. And they've actually, there there's some new studies that show that yawning is actually tied to releasing excess heat when the head heats up. So it's really important in hot climates to not be wearing that mask outside. You know, so so to mandate it outside is just, I'll be honest, stupid. It's insanity. It's not scientific. There's no science that says you should wear it outside. And there's reasons to believe that you should definitely not wear it outside if it's hot, which it's summertime. So there's no reason to do that. But indoors, you should be wearing them. Super simple. Uh, I don't understand why it's, it's such a big deal. Um, I don't know. It's crazy to me. And so this leads into some people have asked me about, is it safe for their kids to go back to school? And again, you've got, uh, this is why I stopped watching the media. You have one side of the media talking about how everybody's going to die because kids are going back to school. And then you have the other side saying, well, kids are perfectly safe. Uh, they should go to school because they, nobody's going to get sick. They can't get sick and everything's fine. Well, the truth obviously is in the middle. The kids, sending your kids to school, they're, they're probably going to be fine. You know, very, it's still, even though the news harps on every single case, and I even remember, uh, I think a 21 or 22-year-old died in, in Arizona from the coronavirus, and the news kept mentioning her specific case for over two weeks because they just didn't have other cases to mention. I mean, it just, it's rare. Uh, Young people in general, and the younger you get, the safer you are, aren't going to become critically ill, and they are very unlikely to die. Now, that doesn't mean they can't catch it. And that's where the real problem is. They can catch it at school, and then they come home, and they spread it to their family members, and then their family members can spread it around, and maybe they'll visit their grandparents I mean, there has to be a high sense of personal responsibility if you're going to send your child back to school. And that is, you know, your kid, you can't go visit the grandparents. Uh, If you have a sick person in the house, you probably shouldn't send them back to school. I mean, and I I know it's difficult. A lot of households have two parents that work and school has almost become sort of like daycare in some instances so that people can work and I understand that that's a burden so all of this I'm not oblivious to those kind of pressures so all of this needs to be balanced and you know honestly if we're just looking at the scientific side of this you know kids should be wearing masks in school 
and it's to protect everybody else, but also especially to protect the staff at the school. And this also close hits close to home. You know, my one of my best friends, one of my oldest friends, actually from graduate school. I mean, we've been we've been really close. I mean, even that first week that we met in graduate school, we just became really close, and we have been ever since. And she's a high school teacher, and I, you know, I'm concerned. She's my age, and her health is not at the same level as mine. Uh, so, so I'm very concerned for her. And this isn't just some ephemeral concern or imaginary. Uh, ideation here teachers have died uh, in Arizona again another for some reason Arizona is all the examples but they've had several teachers die from being in the classroom getting infected Um, and and the infection rates can be really high Indiana opened their schools and had to close them Uh, I'm not sure if they're open again but because they had such a high rate of infection and that's the problem. If you're going to open schools, there's you need to do certain things like force the kids to wear masks, which is, I understand, really difficult. I would have hated that when I was in high school or at any age. And younger kids, I mean, that's going to be, it's almost impossible. I see kids here trying to put on their masks and they, they either can't do it or they just want to hang it over one ear. Or they want to play with it like a toy. And... You know, it's a big problem. So, you know, this is a big problem without simple solutions. Uh, One thing we do know is we have a lot of models of what happens for viral spread with schools as a nexus. And, I mean, it can be devastating. You can make a virus explode in a region just by introducing it into schools. And these are excellent models that have accurately reproduced past scenarios so we know schools are a great nexus point to spread viruses all over the place so you know this we have to really assess what's wise here now distance learning would be obviously a fantastic idea that's really hard and it still doesn't solve the problem of to, of households where both parents or it, or it's a single parent household and they have to work. Uh, it doesn't solve that issue. And these are really tough problems and I don't have any simple solutions. I don't think anybody does, but just forcing kids back into school and hoping for the best has already demonstrated that you can't hope for the best because you just get the worst right out of the gate. Uh, so you know these are uh, uh, some of these are are personal decisions too. You you've got to decide how it is that you want to navigate this current epic and how worried you are. And if your parents in good health and you and then you might it might be okay for you to send your your kid to school and not be too concerned. Just don't go visit grandparents uh and and if you're going to i i mean it's it's really hard because even if you get tested uh until they have the five minute tests that you can do at home constantly uh it's gonna be really hard for you to go visit grandparents and um things like that so 
again, uh, you know, like I said, one side of the media makes it sound like everybody's going to die. The other side says it's not a big deal. That's why I just, I just quit watching all of it. I just tuned it all out because honestly, here in Serbia, people do very basic things. They wear their mask inside. They wash their hands when they come home or they use hand sanitizer when they sit down at restaurants. And it is honestly just turned into a non-issue here. Uh, their rates aren't spiking. They're having, you know, there's new infections, but they're not having massive spikes. They're not having massive spikes of death. It's pretty much calmed down here much as it has across most of Europe because people are taking very, very simple precautions. And in the United States, you know, what's stymieing progress is not everybody's willing to take even the most basic steps. And I think that's it. It's a shame, um, but you know, at the same time, this this thing like Pandora's box is open. We're not going to get this under control. That's like one year the world saying, you know what? We're just going to stop the flu this year. We're just going to stop it. We're going to lock everything down. We're going to make people wear masks, hand sanitizers, no school. We're not going to let people go to work. We're just going to stop the flu. It, it's just not possible. And you know the. COVID's gotten to that point. It's out in the wild, and we just really can't put it back in the box. Uh, unfortunately, we're, we're still giving the wrong messages. Uh, you know, we're playing to the strength of the virus, and that is its ability to replicate even if a single person has the virus. I mean, that is a massive strength. And, and we're also playing to the weakness of of society and that's it people need to be social they want to be social it's hard to keep them locked away and then once you let them out of course they want to go socialize i mean it only makes sense so so we're trying to we're we're playing to the advantage of the virus and we're playing to the disadvantages of people and not not that it matters but because I doubt anybody in authority listening to this, even if they were, would have the chutzpah to put this into action. But really, if you, if you wanted to knock out the virus as quickly as possible as far as its ability to do damage, then what you would do is you would open up all restaurants and bars at night. You would let them have normal hours. Uh, you would say no face masks or face masks face masks are optional in the United States it's easy you have to card people if they're they have to be 21 to go into bars let's say well you have to card people after a certain hour say after eight o'clock at night and anybody 45 years or older cannot enter and this may seem like a weird suggestion but if you think about it, most of the people who die are 45 years and older. Most of the people who can contract it and be okay are younger than that. So if you play to the strength of the people, get them into the bars, encourage them to go out and party and have a normal life in the evening, then they get infected. Yes, they might get sick, but they're more than likely going to be okay. And you get a very large herd immunity response very, very quickly. And that's how you slow the spread of a virus. Now, of course, when they go to work the next day, they'll have to wear masks. So daytime rules still apply. You need to wear masks when you're inside. That includes at work. 
But at night, you know, let people live and have fun, at least those who are 45 years and younger. Uh, let them, you know, have fun. Maybe they get sick. Maybe they don't. They'll end up being okay. And they will gather the herd immunity that will stop the virus from spreading. And so it protects the older population. It doesn't shut down the economy. Um, it plays to the strength of individuals. And that is the weakness of the virus is herd immunity. That's its main weakness. Um, so again, you know, everything that was done was a complete clusterfuck. And, you know, that idea is not a complex idea. Uh, it would have worked right out of the gate. Um, but again, you had just crazy amounts of insanity over how dangerous this was and so on and so forth because of things that were happening in Italy and everything else. So that's, you know, that that was a process that could have easily worked. It could still work if you wanted to slow down the virus. Um, herd immunity in and of itself is a very complex topic. Uh, we don't know what that number is. It can be anywhere from 20% are some new estimates, although I think that's extremely low, um, all the way up to some people think it's going to be 60%, uh, which from early numbers, somewhere around 60, 66% seems about right. Um, but I have seen reasons to believe that it could be as low as 40 to 50%. So it's really hard to say. And the calculus of herd immunity percentage is is complex e even though the standard formula is super simple the dynamics of the environment change this the spread rate of the virus so even city to city some cities have a different spread rate than different cities even if their populations are the same you know their dynamics change that and the weather changes that and you know, all kinds of things can affect that spread rate. So it's really hard to determine just right out of the gate what herd immunity should or could be. Uh, if it's as low as 20%, then, you know, we're, we're in pretty good shape. If it's as high as 50%, then what I recommended earlier about getting all the young people sick by having them go out and drink and spend money, uh, that's just enough at least in the United States and uh, most of Europe, that's enough people to hit your herd immunity and then you slow down the spread of the virus. Um, so, you know, my suggestion is if you're young, uh, go out at night, don't wear your mask if you can get away with it. Uh, it. It's actually, you know, if you think about this as a wartime situation, then yeah, you're one of the soldiers on the front line. Uh, and you're fighting to protect everybody else who can't protect themselves, and that would be the population 45 and older. Uh, I think that's a, a really good analogy, and you know your risk of serious trauma or death is very low, much, much lower than in an actual uh, combat situation. So, you know, there you go. Here's my take on that. Now... I think that yeah, there are a lot of questions about treatment and what's good treatment. And to be honest, you know, it, it, it's worthy of news because 
it ties in with conspiracy theories. There's all these crazy conspiracy theories when the conspiracies are kind of right there in front of you. And the conspiracies, I mean, there are real conspiracies. Um, For example, the whole hydroxychloroquine um, thing. You had President Trump touting it. When we weren't sure of the numbers, there was quite a bit of empirical evidence that it was helping in some in some areas and that's when he was promoting it and then you had the media one side of the media of course basically will say anything in opposition of the u.s current administration and that's that's just the dynamic right now uh, Republican and Democrat, right and left, is so polarized in the United States. That's just the way it's going to happen. Um, but both sides are, are not aren't on the side of science. You know, for example, you probably heard. I know media outlets. The last time I listened, were still saying that hydroxychloroquine kills people, that it shouldn't be taken, and. What they're quoting two studies, one out of Lancet, which is, I mean, the granddaddy of medical journals, and then the New England Journal of Medicine, which is a close second to Lancet. And in both of those journals, they published an analysis of data on hydroxychloroquine use, and both papers said that hydroxychloroquine increased the chance of death with COVID. Well... Those, and this is a huge deal. I don't think people understand how big of a deal this is. Both of those papers were retracted. They were, you could kind of say, unpublished. Because they bought their data from a company called Surgisphere. And enough doctors had had experience with hydroxychloroquine and seen either beneficial effect or no noticeable effect. Both of those made them question these two studies. So they went and looked into the source of the data, which was Surgisphere, and then they started to investigate Surgisphere's sources, and they found out Surgisphere manufactured all of the data. They made it up. They just completely made it up. So those two papers were predicated on false data, and that's why they were retracted. Uh, same thing with, uh, I can't remember the doctor's name now, but the one who published the fake data about Alzheimer's and vaccinations. He completely faked his data. That's why he was stripped of his licenses and his credentials, and his paper was retracted because he just made it up, and now it's become a worldwide movement. Um, and... Of course, there's nuances to vaccination and whether you should get vaccinated as an adult or your kids should be vaccinated and whether it's the flu vaccine, so on and so forth. But again, you know, it's a really, really huge thing when an article gets retracted. Well, that didn't make the news cycle at all. You know, the news channels are still saying hydroxychloroquine kills people. um, And actually we've shown if it's introduced early before symptoms manifest then it can actually there is a slight it's 
not quite statistically significant, but that means something mathematically opposed to there is a trend for people to have less likelihood of getting severely ill. And that data is hard to really assess, but there is some indication that hydroxychloroquine taken very early, the moment that you know you're, you have the virus, but before you have symptoms can actually be beneficial. Uh, giving it in the hospital, not at all. Uh, I mean, that almost seems to be clear at this point. Once somebody is sick enough to be in the hospital, hydroxychloroquine is not going to help or hurt their situation. It's definitely not going to kill them. Uh, so that's that's actually a conspiracy that's right there in front of people. It's a very obvious one, and the reasons for it are very obvious. You know, one side of the media, there was an assumption and the researchers who did, who analyzed the fake data, they got results that they were hoping for or expecting. And I say that because of their conclusions almost sounded as if they had an expectation of negative results. And so they didn't question them. They were unfortunately led by an inherent bias that they had for whatever reason. So they didn't question the data. They didn't explore how the data was accumulated because everything kind of fit with a narrative that they seem to and of course the conclusion is written after so I don't know if it changed my mind but there was a sensation that they had a sense of affirmation from their work and you know and, and those those were polled and of course the media never mentions it so there's a conspiracy right there that fake data and those those studies that were retracted are still being used to say that hydroxychloroquine will kill you. And that's a really simple real-world conspiracy theory. I mean, I, I've even heard some commentators being told that those articles were pulled, that they were redacted. And they still say later that it kills people. Um, so, you know, that one, that's right in your face. There's nothing super sinister about it other than just political bias. Um, there's another one and, and the hydroxychloroquine kind of ties into remdesivir. Um, it's still not showing. It does show if you're extremely sick before you're on a ventilator, if you're put on remdesivir, you might recover a few days early. It's not a miracle drug. Uh, the studies I've seen on um, preventing deaths is uh, lackluster at best, but it does seem to help you recover faster if you're sick but not yet on a, on a ventilator or you're not yet to the point of needing extreme assistance. And, you know, that's almost, in a sense... A bit of bullshit because we also have dexamethasone which is a glucocortical uh, derivative and if you are given that when you're very sick and potentially on a respirator or in that situation then in those scenarios dexamethasone does decrease mortality so you have a higher chance of surviving and dexamethasone is dirt cheap 
that should just be the go-to drug at the moment. And I'm sure that there's other therapeutics that we're testing. But, you know, remdesivir, I, I got to tell you, I think that's a conspiracy just sitting right there out in the open. Uh, you had the company Gilead. They'd spent billions of dollars creating this antiviral for Ebola. So this is left over from the Ebola scare during the Obama administration. They spent billions of dollars on a failed antiviral. It did not work against Ebola. Complete failure. Billion dollar wash. Uh, their stocks, you know, didn't do so well from that fallout. Now, all of a sudden, you have these, I mean, kind of paltry tests. I mean, the results are not great. The results are not adequate to justify $2,000 a dose. So basically, what Gilead has done is they've opened up a situation uh, where they can recover the costs of their billion-dollar investment. And, you know, for little, little actual good being done for those paying that money. Uh, so you can, you know, immediately the U.S. government bought their entire stockpile. So Gilead, I mean, they're tickled pink. You know, they've got some kind of, and, and, this, and the study that got the U.S. government to buy their entire stock was not not very it was the you know two or three days faster recovery if you got really sick now on hospital bottom lines that could help but you know at the same time is that really worth two thousand dollars a person when we don't know what the full benefit of that drug is or you know to be honest the full ramifications of having taken it um, it clearly hasn't been really well studied in humans. We don't know what long-term effects there could be. Uh, so I just think the remdesivir thing is is a crock of shit. And and it's, it's right there. I mean, this is just flat-out conspiracy to help a company or for a company to just recover its investment loss. And I mean, it, I, it's already made out like a bandit. It's totally recouped those, those losses. Uh, the... These are the things, you know, they, all the different drug companies producing or trying to produce vaccines. I mean, that's, that one I guarantee is a conspiracy in the making because here's what's happened. The U.S. government is paying all of these businesses to develop the vaccine. So they're developing this vaccine free of charge from their company. But if they succeed, then I guarantee that the population will have to pay for the vaccine. So th these companies, I mean, they're, the reason their stocks are going up is not because they have a success in the pipeline. It's because they have absolutely no risk with a massive potential for an upside. Because I guarantee if any one of those companies comes up with a vaccine, then we're going to, you know, the U.S. is going to buy all of it. And there's going to be profit for the company in that, which means not only did we pay in, in the United States, it would be a case of um, the American taxpayer has paid to produce and develop that vaccine. And then they're going to pay again over cost of the drug so that the company can make a profit of, of it. That's, that's why these, all of them, all of the, all of the companies making a vac or trying to produce a vaccine are a great investment because they have 
absolutely no downside and they have a huge potential upside and none of them are going to drop in value but whoever hits that vaccine is going to skyrocket in value Uh, so if you're looking for stocks to invest in those are the ones although i would question your ethical uh, underpinnings in doing so but if you're only concerned about money then i would understand why you would do it so these are kind of like obvious i mean we're just we're funneling money or out of the hands of the american people to give to a corporation to then sell back a product that the american population already paid for i mean that's just insane and that happens more times than you know in all kinds of different scenarios with government government funded projects that you paid for that you then pay for again um and you know that's the the government and business has worked that way for a long time and some businesses are uh in tighter with government contracts than others it, it's just the way it's happening but you know this is this is an obvious thing that's happening in front of people and what they're worried about is that being locked down and wearing a mask when you're outside is some sort of evil plan of bill gates and the other illuminati who wants to keep people inside because they need to test out their facial recognition recognition algorithms and those work best when there's fewer people on the street now i've heard so many of these conspiracy theories and that's just absolutely stupid for one facial recognition algorithms work great when there's few people on the street like there's no problem where they need data from is large crowds of people and they're trying to identify people in those crowds so forcing people to stay at home actually completely defeats the purpose of where facial recognition technology is today and how it could get better and you're encouraging people to wear masks at the same time that you're trying to get better facial recognition on people i mean it doesn't take long to think about this and think like how stupid is this and and also why is this such a conspiracy this has been happening for years why and in facial recognition in public arenas is excellent and why is nobody mentioning that now or before why did nobody care before um you know, it, it's a stupid conspiracy theory. Uh, a friend, oh my gosh, a friend sent me a video with somebody spouting that off, and they're like, you should listen to this. And, you know, I listened to it, and I was ashamed that they were my friend. I I embarrassed, I just heckled them so badly for sending that. Um, and, and they don't stop there. They're like, oh, this virus isn't even real. Why are we so concerned? You know, in 2019... 1.5 million people died from tuberculosis, but we didn't call that a pandemic. Well, because it's not a pandemic. You know, the modern world, or the first world as we call it for whatever reason, we have medications for tuberculosis and we have vaccines. It cannot be a pandemic. It is unfortunate that 1.5 million people died when we do have vaccines and we do have medications to prevent you from dying from tuberculosis. I mean, it's like 100% survival almost if you have modern medical intervention. And that's the real sad thing that that statistic illuminates for us is there are a lot of people with 
without adequate access to vaccines and even just basic health care to not contract and not die from tuberculosis. It's a real shame, but it's not a pandemic. It's localized. It cannot become a pandemic. Um, you know, th- these are important things to keep in mind. So, of course, and I'm just going to say this because it is actually true and so i'm saying this of the people who come up with these conspiracy theories and pull together all these threads and i'm not saying about people who believe them and i'll make that distinction but you know really it's the undereducated people who come up with these conspiracy theories and it's because they just don't understand how these things work they don't know what a pandemic actually means they don't know that tuberculosis is wiped out in the modern world. So, you know, it can't be a pandemic. And they don't know that those people died because of poor, they're just, they're poor people in poor countries without adequate access to any kind of healthcare. Um, So it's not a conspiracy theory. And I'm getting close to the hour here. So I want to talk about those conspiracy theories. Like, you know, there's a book, uh, I believe the author is uh, Boyer Pascal, and the book's called um, Religion Explained. And regardless of your religious underpinnings and whether you choose to read this book or not, uh, it it really elucidates a lot of cognitive behavior that humans have. And, and it's really interesting. And And one thing that humans have a very strong propensity for is to find it's to find some sort of agency behind tragedy now sometimes it's easy and you may be one of these individuals i used to be one of these individuals my immediate family is still this type of individual you, you i'm sure you know these types of individuals but nothing is ever their fault No matter what happens, it was their manager or this person did it or that person or whatever. They can never find what it is that they did to contribute to the situation. Now, they might not be totally at fault, but they can't even see the part that they played. Um, Now, a lot of people have screwed me over in life, but it, especially recently, but it's always been in different ways. And I can admit to myself what I did that created that situation or instigated it or exacerbated it and I changed my behavior so that doesn't happen again but unfortunately people are very clever when it comes to someone who with an intense moral turpitude you know you know but I always recognize the part I played uh even as some of you know my a business partner in my supplement company who just really screwed me over like I actually saw that coming a long way off and I realized the mistakes that I made getting into it but I was heavily involved so I had to start working slowly to protect myself for when I thought that was going to happen it happened sooner than I expected but I was somewhat prepared in some ways but not prepared in other ways um, but I I understand the part i I played in that, in allowing that situation to happen. Now, so it's really easy. When tragedy befalls us or something sucks or life is hard, 
it's usually pretty easy to blame somebody close. It's easy to find the agency and to ignore whatever part we could have played. Now, this gets amplified when we're at the whim of a situation in which we could not have created. It really does seem random. It seems like some outside force has just swept us up and is pulling us into the maelstrom of chaos. And in those situations, we have a very strong tendency to also look for agency. But of course, this agency has to be something huge and powerful and untouchable and impossible to derail. You know, for someone science-minded, you know, it's a virus. It was incredibly mismanaged. Um, public health officials are not up on the current models of what what to do when there is a virus, what to do once it's already infected a community. Um, like I said, having somebody who was educated in the 70s making decisions in 2020 is not a good idea. And that's what we have. And that's a pretty simple explanation. There's no, there's nothing sinister there. Um, even the origins of the virus, we're 100% sure at this point that it's natural origins. And you could conjecture, you know, there is some conjecture that it was a strand of coronavirus that was found in northern China a decade ago. And it was taken to a lab and it could have been released from a lab, but that exact same virus could have been completely secure in the lab and still made it into the human food supply and then infected humans. So, you know, there are unknowns. That's not a conspiracy. There are unknowns as to where this, how this actually was introduced into a human population. But again, that doesn't stretch to some evil cabal of people trying to control the world and that these lockdowns were an exercise of control over people. I mean, to be honest, those lockdowns were just sheer stupidity. I mean, they were sheer stupidity uh, because they were half-assed. You know, everybody just jumped on the China model, which we had no reason to believe was worked or is working um, because we had no access to what was going on inside of China. Everybody jumped on that, but they half-assed it. Like, oh, well, you need to, nobody goes to work. You need to shelter inside, but you can go outside for this, and you can have food delivery, and this. And, I mean, it was such a shit show. So the lockdown was an act of stupidity. Its ineffectiveness was an act of stupidity. The ramping up of the economy early without precautions was an act of stupidity the i the desire to lock down again is another act of stupidity this isn't some huge conspiracy thing and you don't need a conspiracy to explain human stupidity you really don't you know the agency is just something that's inherent in all of us and that's when there's a crisis we we try to make any decision that seems like a good decision in the moment because it's really hard to step back and assess and find out everything we can to make the best decision. It's really hard to do. And so when things turn into a shit show, you get these conspiracy theories. And this is normal. This has happened. I mean, I, 
I'm pretty sure I can't remember what it was, but I mean, conspiracy theories run all the way back into the end of the dark ages. You know, there's been conspiracy theories whenever there is world turmoil. And so we shouldn't be surprised, but we should really, really just remember that one thing. That whenever the world or a country is in chaos, conspiracy theories proliferate. If you just remember that, you can probably keep yourself from getting wrapped up in them. Now, there, every conspiracy theory has things that we don't know, and that's the point. We don't know. So you can add any agency to it whatsoever, or you could also admit that it could be pure happenstance. Um, and, and that's where we are here. And I, I wanted to end on the conspiracy theory thing because so many of them are proliferating today and the internet makes it super simple and the human psyche is looking for the wizard behind the curtain and so if you are automatically acting under a natural impulse and you see things that give you the wizard you're naturally going to have a propensity to believe it. Uh, so this isn't about people being crazy. And that's why I said people who believe conspiracy theories, they're not crazy. They're in a situation of crisis and in crisis or in trauma or long-term trauma, people look for agency. And these conspiracy theories provide an idea of agency when there is no other to be found. Uh, it's much easier to explain all the craziness that's happened is just sheer stupidity. Like, it's stupid to do all this testing in the United States. You know, they are doing a lot of testing. It's, it's not phenomenal in comparison to some other countries, but they're, they're doing a fair bit of testing. But if you're not tracking and tracing people, all that testing is, I mean, pretty much useless. It's again, it's another act of stupidity. Why are we doing all this testing if we're not tracking and tracing people? Um, it, you know, it, it doesn't make sense. It, it really doesn't. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't get tested. Uh, I, I think the way testing is being done now, actually, without the tracking and tracing, is, is somewhat idiotic. Um, but on the other hand, I do have a problem with any state mandated tracking and tracing because that's a very slippery slope. Um, there would definitely have to be a sunset period on any legislation or laws like that. Uh, and the United States does not have a good track record. No country has a good track record of obeying or sticking to the sunset deadline when it comes to ways of tracking their populace and it doesn't matter what it doesn't matter if it's a de democratic nation it doesn't matter if it's a republic it doesn't matter if it's a dictatorship uh if it's a communist nation that's always the same the more ability they have to surveil their populace they almost never give that up and so that's why i think the tracking and tracing 
is a slippery slope and kind of terrifying. Um, but not implementing that makes all this testing almost futile. And on and so until we have testing that you can do at home every morning or you know every time you eat, testing is almost in a sense useless. It's not going to stop the spread of the virus. Now where it could, if there was an accepted use of hydroxychloroquine, if you got tested positive, you didn't have symptoms yet, and you could go use that positive test to get hydroxychloroquine, which might increase your chances of never having severe symptoms, then that would be great. But hydroxychloroquine, as far as we know, uh, is a poison that kills everybody, even though it's been used as a medication for decades. Uh, so as you can see, I'm, I'm, I'm totally disgusted with this entire situation. Uh, I understand why people are latching onto conspiracy theories, but that doesn't mean that I'm nonchalant about them. I mean, we really need to be, even in our own personal biases and beliefs, we need to be diligent in assessing those. And we need to extend that a thousandfold to conspiracy theories. Like, we really need to assess what, uh, what's going to... I'm laughing because Cooper's having a puppy dream behind me. You might be able to hear his whimpers. I'm not sure. Uh, but, but we really need to assess not only our own biases and our own fears, but also what those fears may lead us to believe. And in the case of conspiracy theories, we need to pick those apart a thousandfold. If they sound good then there's probably something wrong there. If they sound amazing or they sound like so far beyond the realm of your ability to affect, then they're, they're probably also, also fake. I mean, come on. Why? I just don't understand who profits from shutting down the economy, ruining an entire nation's economy, uh, seeing wild fluctuations in stock markets, potential fallouts, people manufacturing going down, food production going down. I mean, there, nobody gets an upside from this. That's what I, I, I'm, I, every time somebody can tells me a conspiracy theory, I ask them, okay, wh- where's the upside? Who got the upside? It's super simple. Always follow the money. If you can't tell me how this translates into money, a lot of money for somebody, then it's unlikely to be true. Uh, you know, money motivates the world probably more so now than, well, more so now than it has since probably the turn of the 20th century, you know, from the going from the late 1800s to early 1900s. And uh, we're, we just have to deal with the ramifications of that. And, you know, we have an immense number of problems all hitting us at once. Some new problems are exposing old, deeper problems, and conspiracy theories are going to proliferate. My advice is, listen to them. That's fine. Be entertained by them, because that's all they really are. And ask a lot of questions, especially if you get it first, if, you, if somebody's telling you and you don't see it on YouTube, ask a lot of questions. Um, you know, who's getting the upside? Of course, it's obvious who's getting the downside. We are. And that's usually where conspiracy theories end. It's like, 
we're being oppressed. It's not just me. It's everybody around me. There has to be some malevolent agency somewhere. And they're just doing it because they hate us. And that's like, it's easy to identify the downside. Yeah, we all had a huge downside from all of these fuck ups associated with COVID from its early start to everything that's happened since. Like we've all suffered. That's clear and easy to identify. Now, you know, where is, how did Bill Gates benefit from this? I know he's mentioned quite often. Like, how did he benefit? Um, Gilead, that one's an easy one. It's easy to connect the dots there. It's like, like I have no idea how that happened. I mean, uh, honestly, remdesivir probably should have been shelved or potentially it has use for other viruses. I mean, there's other horrible, nasty viruses out there. There's hantaviruses. Uh, old world strand is just, you know, people just died from it in China. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff. There's all kinds of nasty stuff out there. Uh, and it's just, oh, it's amazing. It has kind of minor results on this thing that's affecting millions and millions of Americans. Oh, well, here, well, then it's a miracle cure. Let's everybody buy some. Anyway, I think that's enough. And I really hope not to have to discuss COVID in the future. Like I said, I, I feel I'm treating this as a bridge episode. I want to start doing regular episodes and I want to talk about anything other than COVID. Uh, don't get your hopes up for the Russian vaccine. I have friends who live in Russia and they learned about the supposed Russian vaccine from foreign media. And they have no idea where this vaccine is actually in. I mean, they apparently did not announce it to their own people before they announced it to the rest of the world. So they are very skeptical as a people and they're used to hardship. Uh, so my friends just think it's complete propaganda. They, they think it's total bullshit. They don't think there's a vaccine. You know, who knows? I highly doubt it. Uh, people who live in Russia highly doubt it. So my guess is it was sort of a PR stunt to, to give Russia a moment in the spotlight of potential world superiority. Um, something they haven't experienced in a very long time. So, all right. I think that's the end of that. And I look forward to talking to you in the next podcast about something completely different.